Today's episode is sponsored by Alone in the Dark. The highly anticipated new reimagination by Pieces Interactive and THQ Nordic. Play as Edward Carnby or Emily Hartwood to explore your environments, fight monsters, solve puzzles, and uncover the true secret of Dorsetto Manor. Our favorite heroes are brought to life by Hollywood stars Jodie Comer of Killing Eve and David Harbour of Stranger Things, who lend not only their voices, but their appearance and their formidable acting skills to the brave protagonists. Experience a deep psychological story that goes beyond the realms of the imaginable, all dreamed up by Mikhail Hedberg, cult horror writer of Soma and Amnesia. The team at Pieces Interactive is supported by monster designer and legendary Guillermo del Toro collaborator Guy Davis, as well as doom jazz legend Jason Conan, who provides his eerie and haunting melodies for the right atmosphere. Alone in the Dark is available March 20th on PS5, Xbox Series XS, and PC. Pre-order your copy now and escape into the dark. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Way, rated PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Fairmount Plus. Welcome to the second episode of Safe Room, Bloody Disgusting's Dead Pixels weekly horror video game podcast that releases every Saturday. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Krieger. And I am Neil Bo. And this week, we're discussing the 2020 survival horror game Amnesia Rebirth from Frictional Games. And as a fair warning, we're going to be discussing all manner of spoilers for the game. So, Neil, I understand you are uh, somewhat a fan of this game, actually naming it your horror game of the year for 2020? Yeah, it's, you know, the original Amnesia is very special for a lot of reasons. Uh, as we know, it is a big part of why horror games have had this resurgence that they've had because uh, I think as we discussed on the Resident Evil episode without it you know that sort of push that it made uh, with a bunch of other games and the you know whole YouTube and Twitch movement behind it we probably wouldn't have seen Resident Evil come back the way it did and in this new and exciting way and the problem the sequel always had was being amnesia still whilst doing something new because every game has copied its pattern so much in the last 10 years that it was always going to be a very tricky time and, uh, you know, and Frictional have tried different things as we know between then and there they made Soma which is a fascinating game in its own right and does feel like an evolution narratively of uh, what happened with The Dark Descent but gameplay wise it, you know very divisive and to the point they had to throw in a mode where you didn't attack by monsters as much because it was a it really did damage that game a lot with Rebirth 
it's every lesson learned in the last 10 years, not just of their own games, but of how other people have adapted their ideas. And in ways I would never have thought. And when I see you know, very vague criticisms of it saying, oh, well, it doesn't do this as good as this and doesn't do that, people are usually checkmarking very traditional horror game elements, you know, things you'd expect in a horror game. Oh, well, the atmosphere, it does this jump scares better here, or it does the survival bit better there. And it's like, it's not that kind of story. It is telling a very different kind of horror story. You know, whilst in the amnesia vein, in the frictional vein, really, if if you think about it. And it continuously marveled me all the things it could do in that story and how it looped back into how the mechanics of the game are played out. It's just remarkable, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And I was kind of like taking a gander at various publications, impressions of the game, and just kind of reading some people's thoughts of it online. And I was coming across some people that were saying things along the lines of, well, it's very similar to what they've done before. And yet, again, kind of like you had said, there have been so many games in the interim in between their sort of various projects and since Soma and that, that have kind of copied the blueprint that Frictional has put out there with the Amnesia series. And it's... While I don't think Rebirth necessarily like rewrites a lot of sort of the blueprint, it does refine it to a degree hmm. that I continue to be impressed by. And if you look at Frictional Games' entire catalog of games, they've always been a company that moves forwards in a way that I think something like Soma, I would agree with you in that like narratively, that was a huge evolution from The Dark Descent. Yeah. Gameplay-wise, maybe it wasn't, but they're still always evolving at something. And Rebirth, I was really surprised that it feels like an evolution in terms of storytelling and, re- and an evolution in terms of like refining the gameplay for them in a way that it follows a similar blueprint that they're known for at this point, but it's the most refined iteration of that yet. I mean, dating back to like the Penumbra games yeah. that, that they started with in 2007, like those games always took me as being kind of like horror mist in a way, right? Because there's this emphasis on manipulating environments, like the tactileness to inv- to items that you find yeah, and kind of like it. turning things over, obviously doing this whole uncovering documents to piece together backstories and whatnot, puzzle solving. Thankfully, they ditched the uh, combat focus of the original. Yeah. But even in that, they realized very early on with that first iteration of Penumbra that like, hey, combat doesn't really work. Combat is not what people are enjoying this game for. Hmm. So they just ditched it right away. And I think that that was such a pivotal role in frictional games really evolving their own style and their sort of like methodology to games. And it's like they're very open, obviously, with each release that like, hey, if something's not working, we're going to cut it or we're going to evolve on it in a way that is reflective of growth. And that's something that I was really pleased by with uh, Rebirth. Yeah, as a strange thing to think about it in that sense, as you said, that it is it can very much on surface appear to be the same kind of game because of, as we said, all the games that have done what they have in between. But it's surface level. You know, understanding of what, you know, Frictional have done, you know, and in the space is very much underappreciated, I think, because a lot of people didn't come in at that point. They may have played Amnesia later. You know, I didn't play it day and date or anything by any means, but I played it fairly early on in the cycle before I really got to play the other sort of copycats, if you will. And especially in that early phase, you had games like Outlast, you know, that really had an idea of, oh, we could do that too. And people like Outlast, which is fair, but, you know, as a series... 
I think it completely misunderstands the point of why defenseless horror works, you know, and how it can work. And with Rebirth, I think Frictional themselves have said they were trying to go more with telling a story this time, you know, and it's like, so they didn't want to impede on that. And it's like, well, how do you do that without, you know, making it too, you know, in quotes, easy, if you will. And their solution is fascinating. The way they've gone around it. I mean, we'll get into that in a bit, I think, but they did a really good job in just sort of intertwining difficulty, if as you will, into the story. And, uh, you know, lessons learned, I think, not as from someone else there. You know, there are other games that sort of have had that idea of not really having a fail state necessarily in a traditional sense, but more of a consequence, you know, for what you do. Yeah, and I think that that's really important in your point of saying, like, an element of Outlast, and I think there's definitely been others that have seen Amnesia's success and tried to replicate it. It misses the mark in a lot of ways, and I think that if you look at a lot of games that try to do this defenseless horror in a way, it's kind of this series of jump, not even just that they're jump scares, but just, like, frightening moments that don't really amount to anything other than to get you through the next 15 minute to the next kind of like big scary moment yeah but then once you finish that experience almost it kind of just feels hollow in a way when you end it's like okay what was really different about that other than something jumped out at me at least that's been my experience with a lot of sort of indie defenseless horror games and with re- with uh, am- the amnesia series what i've always been taken with is that to varying degrees, like the story has always been the core of it that I've always been invested in. And it's always carried me through these moments of defenseless horror. But then there's a greater significance to everything that happens and to that world. And it's been really refreshing to see them go from Penumbra, which started with this very strong narrative uh, horror mystery to it, and then going from that to a refined in amnesia, and then being further expanded upon in Soma to this entirely new level where it kind of makes you think about storytelling and sci-fi and horror in a way that I hadn't personally experienced in a video game before. Mm. And then to come to Rebirth and see like, oh, not only did they learn from like gameplay and enemy encounter elements from Soma, but also their focus on narrative. Maybe it's not this complexity of its narrative, but it is more of a personal tale and there's a lot more emotions in these characters or at least in the uh, primary character that you play. And I think that that, again, is a real testament to the growth that they've had over the course of their uh, their career. And it's it's materialized itself in probably their finest game yet. Yeah, and, you know, it was a hard thing to think about at first uh, with, after finishing the game was, you know, is this really, is it just best now because it's the best now? Well, you know, because, as we said, Dark Descent, very important game. Soma did things on a whole new level in some ways, but it had that problem of not being as refined as an all-round experience. This feels like the middle ground, as I said, in terms of getting those things working, which ironically, you know, has meant that some people will not be happy because it's gone one way they didn't want it to go, but some people are quite happy with how Soma turned out as a whole, which, fair enough, but I just think it, it wasn't really helping that game out at all to have these encounters that sort of broke up the, everything in the way they did. Yeah, and fair play to Frictional, as I said, that they learned so much from that and put out that extra mode for that to make that a more palatable experience because they wanted people to play through the story, which the experience is in the story and you living through it. And this is the combination of that. And yeah, anything they go on to do from now will be 
you know, taking that in again and changing it in a whole different way, I'd imagine. But, you know, they, they fought long and hard to go 10 years to thinking how to really do their sequel, because, you know, obviously Machine for Pigs was the Chinese room. Yeah, it was a spiritual sequel, if you will. And again, many people had the problem with that, that it feels like people trying to approximate the idea of what, you know, Frictional had been doing rather than being an out-and-out thing. But it's a very interesting game in its own right, to be fair. You know, it's just not quite the same sort of level. I think it, you know, good ideas, but very much a Chinese room game rather than it is a Frictional game more of a continuation of that universe but in a very distinctly different way and so to come into to come back to amnesia after soma i mean that is quite the conundrum right going from the dark descent taking a step away doing something completely different while it is still defenseless horror at the same time though it's a completely different type of story it's a completely different type of world in a lot of ways and so honestly going into rebirth i was a little afraid of like oh is this going to just feel like the dark descent with new uh, environments basically and new types of ghouls that are chasing you and all these things and yet Amnesia Rebirth again not only is it refined but it shows that they understand the elements of their games that work and they're really able to bring them together in a way that is familiar and yet it really taps on all the different elements that Frictional Games has been succeeding at for all these years and whether that be gameplay or storytelling and if anything like this is the most personal protagonist narrative that I think that they've done so far in a way that surprised me with how gripping it is and how emotional it is and the idea that some people could look at this and be like well it's just another amnesia game with their familiar blueprint and kind of dismiss just how everything is refined but it's also pushing and it's an evolution in terms of storytelling even in terms of gameplay for the series which was a fantastic surprise right this idea that you could come back and it's like oh is this just going to be amnesia, but sunscorched terror this mm. time? But no, there's multiple layers of everything that they've been doing for so long and new additions to it. Like I said, sunscorched terror, but also going to some dingy dark caves that we're familiar with. But then we're also going into a narrative that kind of blends sort of a little bit of science fiction from Soma. And then there's some dark descent storytelling styles in there. Um, and so it's a it's a very multi-layered game in a way that was very surprising. And I'm glad we can have a chat with uh, spoilers in it because yeah. you really can't. I was reading through your review. And while I think your review is fantastic, right? It's this idea that like there were so many concepts in the game that I wanted to really talk about. Mm. And I understand how frustrating it was oh, yeah. <laughs> to not be able to talk about it in your review, obviously, without spoiling the game. Yeah, they were, they were sort of politely pleading that maybe don't reveal you know, a couple of things because it it's important to the experience and sometimes you roll your eyes to that and go yeah okay i get it you, you want your big surprises and stuff but i think you know it's there in, in the game itself they, they do try to make this uh, so some of the stuff out of the blue and not try to you know, dig too much into how it connects with you know the original um which you know even in the game it is something they don't do a lot of you know it's clearly you know the same universe set nearly a century after the Dark Descent in the 1930s as we'll go through the plot a bit here is you know part of the research team that crash land in the Algerian desert and obviously found some sort of sanctuary out there while they're waiting um, you play as Tazi who part of the team she wakes up alone in the plane that's crashed in the middle of the desert you know bewildered doesn't know where everyone is goes off in search of it and you are just instantly thrown into this very open 
environment and it's deceptively so because it's not really open in the traditional set it's just giving you a sense that you know much like you know an ocean or space or something like that or even the darkness itself this all enveloping light and sand is there there doesn't seem to be any end to it and you just don't know where or what to do next you were you just sort of going well there's no clear path but i'll try to go this way and you do go a couple of ways and wander about for a bit but you know as you walk out in the sun you hear you hear the sun crackling your skin it's not actually doing it it's just you know this effect is sort of give you a reminder to say hey you know you're out in the desert sun you're gonna you know, <laughs> it's not gonna be good for your skin here so encourage it's very, it's an interesting way to start a horror game in, in bright daylight like that and make it work as an uneasy sort of feeling to it much like the title of our podcast it is the safe room here at the beginning of the game you know you could stay here and be relatively safe once you'd find the shade and an entrance to somewhere in the caves and you're like, okay so this is okay i could be here for a while, but you know that you've got to move on you've got to keep going or you're never going to get out of this situation you know fatazi especially she doesn't know why you know why where everyone is or why anything has happened so she goes into the caves and so goes the story where she goes deeper and deeper and then comes out again. It could have been very simple to just sort of, here they are in the caves. It's just going to be the descent now. You're, you're going to be going down into the caves further and further and further. But to its credit, the, you know, they, to Friction's credit, they go up and down and into different other outside places and really change things up. Um, darkness is still very much, of course, a, a big part of the uh, this and in terms of what you, you know, will affect Tazi, you know, she is emotionally affected by things she sees, by the darkness itself, and by, you know, later on, the, the more unnerving, otherworldly sights she gets to see. Then, just as you think the darkness is all it's going to be again, you get back to the outside again, little relief, and again, like little save rooms in it themselves where you get comforted by the idea of being outside also know that the desert is death you know at this point you can't stay out here either and yeah it's it, it then ends very you know it goes towards a very amnesia kind of game where we just go into the usual sort of otherworldly places and find out where this whole mystery has been leading and it, it goes to some interesting places and uh well, I'm sure we'll get into some of those as we talk further about it. Yeah, and I think that the environments have a big factor in like why I was so surprised by how refreshing this game felt after playing all their other games, right? This idea that, oh, okay, I see we've crash-landed, we're in the desert. Oh, this is kind of new. This is restrictive, but it's it's wide open enough that, again, it gives you that kind of illusion that, oh, we can wander around this space, but then we head right towards the uh, caves. And my initial fear was like, okay, so we're just going to now, like you had said, kind of just keep descending into these uh, deeper and darker caves and areas, and I'm going to have to avoid some baddies. But just the fluidity with, with the transitions between an outdoor environment and the sun and then the kind of deep caverns of caves and then, of course, the otherworldly uh, elements, which we'll get into. I mean, at every turn, Rebirth did such a great job of kind of just challenging my expectations at every turn. I really was unable to guess where this was heading whether it be narratively speaking or in terms of like the next area that we were going to explore and that made that really like fueled the tension in the game in a big way for me because i was like oh well 
am I going to have to try to like survive through this trek across the sands or am I going to become lost in these catacombs again? And I think that 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 unease and that kind of just like unknowingness about the overall trajectory of the game allows for when we dabble into the otherworldly elements, it really does make them, even if they might be somewhat similar to Soma in a little bit of a way in terms of like the sci-fi influence, it still feels very refreshing unlike anything else they've done because it is such a seamless blending of those two. And of course, like you said, this is a sequel to The Dark Descent, but it's a a sequel in the right way, I think, because it's it's picking up, like you said, a century later, and there are direct connections between them and some character connections and uh, plot elements, and yet it doesn't beat you over the head with it, right? How easy would it have been for them to just reference the Dark Descent and those characters in that world throughout the entire course of the yeah. narrative, or to you would have had to have played the Dark Descent to fully understand this narrative, where I feel like they are completely separate in a lot of ways, but they still have that kind of connective sure. uh, tissue. Yeah which is, I think, the right way to go about a sequel all these years Yeah, later. I think there's a point early on when you do go to, there's a large stint in the other world, and you could easily miss a, a little, it's not even an Easter, because it's kind of part of the story, where you literally do find a place where, uh, well, we're doing spoilers here, so, you know, <laughs> a bit, but uh, where it tends to be, it's uh, Professor Herbert, uh, from the, the dig in the first game, you know, who sent uh, the hero of the first game off to where he went. And, yeah, the, we knew that he had been lost, you know, in the old world to all this time, and you can discover him. But it, he is, it's not just right in your path, you know. You could easily have walked off in the other direction and not see it, but it's just a glowing light in the distance, you know, of a very dark place, and you're like, oh, I should probably check that out, because, you know, like that. And, yeah, little things like that, and there's a few letters around there sort of going on about, why he's stuck there and how he ended up stuck there and mainly because he doesn't have the same tool that Tazi has to be able to jump between these two places which is a key thing but yeah there's smart little things like that that tie it in but not too much and it very much tells its own story since you just mentioned it we should get into like one of the biggest gameplay mechanics that really fuels the narrative as well which is Tazi wakes up with this thing that's called like a traveler's amulet Mm. basically which forms this rift between their world, the present, and then this sort of dead alien world that's very kind of uh, what you would imagine like a Cthulhu-type hell, essentially, yeah. in this cosmic horror world where there's this darkness that flooded the world and there's creatures and monsters and these things. And the rifts, I thought, was really interesting because, again, every time you see like these rocks levitating in part of the present world environment, you take out the amulet and then it lets you essentially walk through a rift and the con- complete change of environments and sort of also like obviously the entire game is tense and unnerving but then it's this completely different type of environment that kind of builds upon all of those different feelings and whatnot and atmosphere and that's an element that i really liked because it was unlike anything we'd seen from their previous games and even with that new inclusion they still really take the old gameplay mechanics and they refine them in a way that I really liked. For example, obviously, like, light management of environments is a big deal. And if you're walking around in the dark constantly, you start to hear Tossie's teeth chatter and the uh, the edges of the screen become black and they start to close in on you, much like in Dark Descent. But even the way that you use matches in this game is different, mm. right? If you move too quickly or you start yeah. running, the matches will burn out faster. Yeah, the desire is there to move fast because you're in darkness. You don't know how long to the next light, and it's just... That's a wonderfully tense sort of thing. 
even on replay where you, you're a bit more sure about what might and might not happen, you don't want to leave them in the dark too long because it all kind of adds up to this you know, great consequence for how much trauma you cause her. You know, and yeah, I just found the match thing, yeah, easily done. The other games have done similar things, but I think it was the way it was applied here is just smart. You know, it's, it it creates a tension in itself. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, especially when you think about how good the sound design is in this game and how you can hear every single cool. little scorpion running across the sand or you hear a ghoul in the walls or something to that extent, like every single thing you hear puts you on edge. And so when you pair that with this very simple mechanic that we've probably seen in other places, it just makes for an overall experience that feels unlike anything else you've done at the same time. It's familiar, but it's just so much more heightened in a way that I really love. And to think about the other Amnesia games, well, more specifically, The Dark Descent, and just how it introduced these concepts. And then this is just sort of the the true terrifying manifestation of that yeah. um, in a way that it makes every instance, whether it's kind of just creeping around an area where there may or may not be a creature, it makes it that much more heightened whether actually there is something there or not, because there's the fear of something that you can hear before you see it, which I mean... That's one of the sort of pinnacles of horror gaming, right? Is this idea that you want to unnerve before they even see the creature or whether it's even there yeah. or not, kind of making the player doubt themselves at every turn. Ultimately, it makes for a much more prolonged tension and fear that, I mean, these games are all about fear. So for them to really capture that core element, I mean, considering this is the third amnesia game and yet this is the most terrifying iteration yet, I think. I don't think that's a stretch no, to say. Right it's really a testament to just the vision and how far it's come and how it blows me away at how well it came together yeah. again because I was unsure what to expect and to see this game come together so well in this regard is just a, a treat yeah and I think there's a point in the game where it all really clicks together and it's fairly early to be fair but and yeah you could argue maybe it doesn't ever get as good as that again in terms of scares because it's so masterfully done but it, I just think it's if anything, it just shows that you know you've got nothing to worry about for the rest of this game. This is going to be a good, a good horror experience, and that's the part where you get to the fort. You know, and it's like a mini hub, if you will, for a while. You're stuck here for a while in several little locations in one place, and you've got to solve little parts, you know, find things in each area, get bits and bobs off them. All the while, you're hearing noises seeing the odd shape flickering away in the darkness, hearing the odd grunt, and and the sound again is just here, is immaculate for that. Then on a couple of occasions as it gets closer to that, you start seeing the odd thing. I think at one point you go to grab something and a hand sort of just comes out of the dark and grabs it very, not even in a very jump scare way, just in a very matter of fact, I'm just taking that. And it's done so well. <laughs> and yeah, so you constantly get the feeling in that, that time that you're being stalked by something. And, you know, it turns out to be quite true. I don't know if it was the same for you, but it's as you get towards the end of your time there, you head down some stairs and there's like a wooden bar across the, you know, at the top of the door at the entranceway. And a creature just sort of walks across it, stares at you, and then just scuttles off. And you're like, okay. And it's, again, not done with any, you know, cheap scare methods at all. It just appears. After all this build-up and tension, 
that you know it's just going to jump out at some point and attack you or something or burst out or something. It's just there, and it's just that thing is like seeing something in the dark and you're just like frozen still watching it. I mean, because your first instinct there should be to go shit, run like that and be gone, but because it just comes up in this way, it's just ridiculously bewildering. And then it just the minute it's scuttled off, you sort of click in and you're like, okay, you know, now. I know where I am, I know where I've got to go. And you do then hear it coming and coming and coming and you're just like, you just escape out the door and then it's thumping at the door afterwards. It's just like, oh, that was handled so well. It was the first creature encounter in a game since probably Alien Isolation where it really felt like something was trying to toy with you properly, like not just like an AI thing, but something that was really coming for you the whole time. Yeah, and the fact that you never really sort of have that you know, closure with that moment and it's just left behind after all that and you, you move on. It, it's just, oof, yeah, it, it really gets to you. Yeah, and I think that what's so impressive about that moment is that at the end of the day, the monster doesn't have to do the heavy lifting because the sound mm. design, the environment design, and again, like the pacing with all of those elements, by the time the monster shows up, it's like it could have been anything. It could have been any, and I think maybe one of the things that I don't know if it's necessarily a complaint about the game, but it's just like I, the monster design felt very along the lines of what I expected based on Dark Descent and then kind of Soma. Yeah. It kind of was like a combination of what I would expect from the creature design. And yet it doesn't matter what it looks like because at the end of the day, again, like we've been hearing it scuttling around. We've been peeking around corners whether or not it was actually going to show up in that particular moment. And again, to have a creature design that maybe isn't the most terrifying thing I've ever seen but to still have the emotion go along mm. with that. I mean, that's a testament to a shortcoming of Soma, I think, in that Soma I enjoyed so much because of the narrative. But that's a game that when that survival mode came out, I was like, this is the way that I would want to play this game because I didn't feel any of the tension. I didn't feel like anything that was, in terms of stealth, was either enjoyable or super challenging. It was kind of just an element that was there that got in the way of what I really enjoyed about that game. And for Rebirth, I mean, every single instance where you have to avoid a monster is as terrifying as the first time in terms of just the way that it builds up to that. And while I suppose, yeah, I would agree that the Ford is probably that build up the best iteration mm -hmm. of it, there's still, each iteration is still successful just as it uh, the first time in terms of just it being very aware of using sort of all of the tools in its terror toolbox yeah. or something to that extent where it's like you got to use each little bit of this so when the monster does show up that moment really pops in a memorable way yeah this is it and maybe it loses a little in a second playthrough because you get a little wiser to the game, little tricks the game's playing on you but it's still surprisingly effective I, I think and maybe appreciate more for what it is in the, much the same when you watch any horror movie and you have a good scare structure it, it, you know it doesn't shock you or get to you in quite the same way necessarily the second time but you can you know as a horror fan you are like wow yeah they did that really well I, I, I've got to appreciate that and there is still just that inkling of Ooh, yeah you know and because you're still defenseless at the end of the day it's not like you can turn around and play for pursuit of a machine gun it, it's you're still this vulnerable person you know stranded and alone one thing that I was really impressed by and again it's a credit to frictional games is being responsive to criticism but also just being aware of the sort of general consensus about their previous projects taking that and being able to move forwards with it and that being in rebirth the death mechanic right one of the big problems with soma yeah. was is that 
whenever you die, it reloads that engagement. And for me, at least, and it sounds like for you too, like those engagements are probably the least enjoyable aspect of those games. So to be stuck in these kind of janky stealth segments that are just very frustrating than having to kind of power through those and basically kill the momentum of the game, that kind of like really mm. hampered my first, uh, my first playthrough of Soma. And so for Rebirth to be very reactionary to that and that kind of sentiment around Soma's handling of that in Rebirth every time you die it just picks right back up at the spot that you died and the creature has moved on and then you're able to kind of move on yeah or, or even you know sometimes it moves you slightly further right, ahead that's true just say so where you're a bit more useful but yeah the smart thing being obviously here is that it has consequences you don't know this at the time I think it Sometimes it might not be easy to see sometimes as you get towards the end, but you know, every time you let her succumb to it, to that fear, which is what is happening, you're not dying, she's just succumbing to the fear. The amulet is sort of saying, Well, there you go. It, the amulet always feels like it's a testing mechanic as it, for what comes towards the end. You know, it's like you're being granted the ability to go past something that is, could annoy you or be difficult, but it affects how well you are perceived as you, and how well it goes for Tazi as the game progresses. And it, not in a very, you know, lunk-headed way where it's really easy to spot that they're doing it. And it isn't, you know, the, you know, failing like that didn't really appear in the game to me until quite a way in, you know, where I'm just like, oh, I have to do this section all over again. And then I find myself not you know it's oh no okay this is things have changed it's let me through i was thinking okay well, it is a one-off thing and it's like and then happened again i think there was the um the underground weird it's not a maze but it was like the gate uh, maze the thing where was the creature yeah and that thing just i was thinking god if i have to do this again i'm gonna go i just don't know if i'll handle it because it's just stressful you're trying to get in these areas light areas up make sure that you gate off yourself from the creature that's hunting you and yeah, when I did finally actually get caught out by it and then found myself towards the exit of that area, I was like, oh, bless you. <laughs> but then tying that in to the narrative and what it means for the story itself is great and impressive to do. Yeah, I think that that was, and I, I had the same experience like you where I was like, I thought it was just a fluke or a one-off. It was some kind of uh, reloading mm. issue where I was like, oh, thank God, I don't have to do that whole section again. But and then finding out like how it ties into the greater narrative, again, is just an ingenious way of taking an element of a past title that was really hindering the experience of it sounds like a group a portion of the, your audience, and then to tie that into the narrative of your most recent title and to make it in a way that it doesn't hinder the entire flow of the game in a way where the game is so reliant on this new sort of more personalized narrative, which I want to get into in a minute. I mean, just to have the foresight to be like, hey, we need to do this, but we could actually make this lift up a lot of the elements of our game that we really want to highlight and showcase. Because I don't know about how you felt in terms of like the puzzles in this game. But for me, I thought that the puzzles were a tad simplistic or they were just more along the lines of what I assumed from a uh, amnesia Mm -hmm. game. And they definitely weren't the highlight of the game for me. And yet the way in which that they're expertly paced in terms of like at what point in the environment you're at or the story or whatnot, like every single time I thought, okay, this is a lo- kind of a long stealth segment. I get hit with a narrative beat and then I get hit with a puzzle beat. And 
Even if the puzzles themselves I didn't think were that thought-provoking or that challenging, at the same time, they came at the right moment. And they gave me just enough pause that I almost had to like change my survival horror gears and be like, okay, now I have to start thinking in terms of how am I going to manipulate the environment? How am I going to turn this knob or this lever or something to that extent or read certain hieroglyphs that are on the walls? And even it's a testament, again, to their ability to really refine what they do and be like, I don't know if they necessarily thought like, oh, these aren't the hardest puzzles we've ever had. But they knew that like these puzzles are challenging enough that they are going to be a memorable milestone, even if they are maybe not the most memorable puzzles that they've ever designed. Yeah, I don't. And in most cases, they make some sort of logical sense of a progression. It's not like, you know, it's not Resident Evil's ridiculous (laughs) level of. Oh, yeah, here, for some reason, we had this whole weird puzzle system that involves buying two books in two separate locations and an eye off this thing and a tail off that thing. And you've got to put it all together and somehow you've got to figure this out through a half-burnt note. And it's like, it, it's never that. And that's the point, because you're always sort of moving forward, you know, with the exception of a couple of areas where you do sort of stick around in it because it's large and it has multiple areas within it for you to complete before you can get on it, it does just sort of keep moving on until the end really where you and uh, yeah it's I think that's the best way for it and again as you said it, I think with the pace they were going for it fits I think only one puzzle probably made me think for a little too long that was it I think otherwise they were pretty much like okay yeah I get this this makes sense and and sort of move on yeah that's the way it should be and I think that's a great point that you made and I want to mention that the uh, how logical they are they make sense to every environment right it doesn't feel like something's just being dropped in it's actually reflective of the reality that you're in whether it's sort of like present day or whether it's the other world right I mean the first big Mm -hmm. big puzzle of the game is when you have to manufacture that tank shell yeah in the fort area (laughs) kind of like going through the paces and you basically know what you have to do before you even almost have to do it and you just have to collect these bits you have to process them through machinery and whatnot and combine them and then you're able to blow the hinges off of this door that you have to get through very simple but it makes sense within the context of that environment and in that reality and that's really important because as a uh, as an opening puzzle because then once you start going through these sort of other worlds you have to begin to decipher parts of the environment to figure out what to do it's alien technology and there's a discovery period in this and yet you learn what you have to do from the environments and while you might not necessarily understand like the practicality of something like that it makes sense within the context of this very hyper specific horror fantasy kind of uh avenue that this alien race uh, finds themselves going down uh so obviously the other big thing that isn't revealed early on is tazi's pregnancy now, this in itself has been a very divisive thing, I think, within people who've played the game anyway, just because for some people it feels a little cheap in terms of a manipulative thing. Whereas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
you know, I'm definitely in the other camp where I just think, no, it works because again, it ties into everything else. You know, again, it ties into the death mechanic, ties into the consequences of her actions, and it ties into her continuing survival and her determination. Which again, as you get towards the end and get all the revelations of that ending, it then makes perfect sense. You know, and uh, you know, bit, throughout the story, you are fed bits of information about losing her losing a child previously and that's where you start to get the idea well okay now it becomes more clear why would she want to she wants to get out of here and make sure she can get this child safe at any cost and using that as a calming method for Tazi as well where you know she can look down at her belly and just talk and reassure the baby that everything's okay and it's just it's what was a, a really interesting way to deal with that you know and to connect the player with that yeah sure I, I can see how it may be seen as manipulative uh, it, it, but no more so than any film that uses children in, in a dangerous way you know but um, given the way the, the game does conclude I don't really think it is manipulative in that sense no uh, how did that feel for you once that kicked in because obviously they hide it early on and it feels that's where it feels very much like a very amnesia kind of game. You know, uh, you're just doing this, this, and this, and it's very much for your own survival. But then they do throw this, essentially, a never-ending escort mission with your with your own body. Uh, I, I just, yeah, it's always fascinating reason. You know, that's one thing I've always thought about since playing it has just been that that it's. It was a bold move. Absolutely, yeah. I guess I didn't think that it was manipulative because you don't begin the game knowing that you're pregnant, right? Because if you had been, if you had mm. survived the plane crash and then you're pregnant right from the jump, perhaps I would have thought that that was a little bit manipulative. But at the same time, it's this is such a monumental moment for her and having this second chance and kind of like learning about her history and how she's still traumatized by the loss of her previous daughter. And yeah. that knowledge and then her getting this second chance essentially to kind of like have a second go at having a child and having a family and these things. I mean, that's so intricate to her character arc and it does foster a lot of obviously not only sympathy, but like you want to invest in this person because you want to see them succeed. Yeah. But there's so much groundwork that's laid before she's pregnant that I didn't find it manipulative. Mm. It felt like a natural progression given the more we learn about this world and the kind of supernatural elements of it, it makes sense. And in a roundabout way, you're like, yeah, this is, it feels as if this is the only trajectory that her art could take. And I love that it ties yeah. into sort of the psychological elements of the game and, and her narrative specifically, and that you get some of these instances where she goes through these kind of dreamlike sequences where she goes through her old apartment in France and she's caring for the child. She's with her husband, Salim. And then you learn later on what happened to the child, the fate of that child. And it's a heartbreaking moment. And then evolving from that heartbreak into she has another chance. You don't know how this story is going to end, but you want to chase that feeling of hope. And for me, that's an an incredible amount of emotional weight tied to this character in a way that I didn't think any of their other games necessarily had. Again, with Soma, I like the overarching narrative, but that character himself, I didn't necessarily care for. I was more like, let's find out the mystery. Let's see how abstract and weird yeah. this can get. Even with The Dark Descent, yeah. I love that setting. I thought that, it, again, want to uncover the mystery. 
but I didn't care about the characters in those games nearly as much as I did with Rebirth. Yeah, and in both cases, it's very much a case of self. You know, you're caring about you are the character, you are caring about yourself. And it's, you know, been a thing that's always been a struggle in any game, like especially horror, where you are essentially doing an escort mission. Resident Evil has had some interesting ones Resident Evil 4 being <laughs> among them where you know it's yeah where we talk device <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's, there's one for you for definite the, the, probably the most stressful times in that game were all the ones where you have to have Ashley around <laughs> but uh, yeah by again but this is again tying into the idea of this you know we want you to experience a story at all costs uh, you know and that will, but how you approach that will affect what you do. This is a good way of handling that idea of an escort mission in terms of caring for somebody else, you know, and trying to protect them as much as yourself. And yeah, that, knowing that you know you can't really die, so to speak, does help. You know, there's always the threat that something could happen. You know, with all the stress you're putting yourself under, and that's your motivation to try and keep out of those situations that would possibly affect the baby. And I can't believe that hasn't been thought of before in a way. But then, I, again, like I said before, there are so many horror games that would take that the wrong way. You know, I think there's been some fair criticism of Blue Teams, the medium, for the way it handles things like child abuse. And it's but it's taking ideas from games that have handled that sort of thing a little bit better and not really quite understanding you know Bloober are very good at approximating you know the what other people have done and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't you know layers of fear they took the amnesia model and smartly decided yes we're not going to have combat we're not going to have you have to run from anything it's just this is stuff that's going to happen to you that's that. and same with Observer it was a case of you know, it's psycho- it was very much their sober, if you will. You know, they're going into the mind very literally and doing things that way. But yeah, they don't always get it. And I think it's where they've started trying to take on more and more uh, projects where they start to get a bit more fragmented in that approach. Well, again, to Frictional's credit in terms of how they handle the pregnancy and like we're describing it as being an escort mission, but at the same time, it doesn't feel restrictive throughout the gameplay, right? Which is key, right? Otherwise, that would be the chief complaint. And that's why I think people that are complaining about the pregnancy in this game that has very little to do with the actual game and is kind of like whatever preconceived notions they're coming into the game with or something to that extent. But it doesn't feel restrictive unless it is a key story beat, right? There's a couple of moments where as Tossi begins to climb up ladders that are uh, higher and higher and things like that, she'll be out of breath for a moment. But it only lasts for a second or two. And of course, there's that scene where she's in labor, which is probably the longest instance of being hindered somewhat by the pregnancy, where you have to walk very slowly and it's effective. Otherwise, if it didn't have all this sort of emotional baggage or if it was happening frequently, that would be a moment where you're like, okay, just let me run. Let me run. I'm tired of this. This is boring. This is dragged out. But (laughs) it's the one instance in the game and that gives the game so much more of an emotional impact in that specific moment, right? Because you're like, oh, this is grueling. I have to walk from this cave up this hill to this town that's on fire now, and I can only move very slowly because I'm in labor, or a supernatural labor and whatnot. And that moment has so much of uh, just 
added tension and fear in it. You fearful for the babe, fearful for Tossi. And again, had they decided to do little moments like that throughout the entire game, that moment loses all of its weight to it. And so that is a key moment in terms of how much restraint they have not to give us five or six moments like that. Because then, yeah, I would be one of those people who's like, okay, I get it. Like, it's difficult to be pregnant while you're trying to do these unnatural feats, but or these just feats in general, feats of uh, heroism. But they're so restrained in how many instances they're going to actually hinder the player's uh, ability to do these things and these actions that it ends up working really well the one or two times they actually kind of employ it. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess in terms of talking about like a style of gameplay that they have included into or an element of gameplay rather that kind of ties into the narrative that's new for an amnesia game um are there any elements i guess without thinking too far in the future were there any elements that were present in rebirth that have been present in the other amnesia games that you would like to see them kind of evolve on a little bit it is your horror game of 2020 and whatnot but like any game there's room for uh, for improvement sure um i think the other world stuff could have been a bit better handled in places i think we know about it from the previous game and yeah there are times where it is just like an awe-inspiring spectacle to see this just things fall out in front of you that is unknown and alien there are there are a couple of bits that were just like uh you're just doing stealth sections essentially from searchlights and it's like yeah it, it wasn't after everything else you've been through it felt a bit flat and the most fascinating things about that world were where you were in places that were more abandoned and there were machinery and strange things to use and stuff and that's where it felt the most interesting and I think that side of it I like to explore more learning more about that world and when they talk about how the population worked over there and that, that that's was something that I was very much into. But yeah, the I think whenever the environment is on show too much outside, it's just not very... I mean, I know it's very brutal, industrial style, you know, blankness and dark and dingy green and grey, but it you can make that a little more interesting, especially where the inside places are so much more interesting. I would have appreciated maybe just a little more environmental storytelling rather than like periodically when you're in the alien world, you'll find these jars or vases that when you interact with them, it gives you this kind of like backstory, which I like the lore. I just wish that there was a little bit more variety or just information that you could kind of derive from more um, of a variety of environments, right? I think after a while, a lot of the sort of like interior places kind of just blended together for me in a way that I wish I had just seen maybe a little more variety in architecture or maybe just the further into this world we explore, the more horrific it becomes to a certain extent, maybe like one of the environments that I thought was very kind of like standout was the blood, uh, bloodbath area where you kind of see like what they're doing with the human bodies and whatnot. And you're literally like wading around in in a waist deep of blood. (laughs) But again, that's like the most overtly horrific moment. And then you kind of leave that area and then, you don't necessarily return to an area that looks anything like that, or if anything, it kind of just reverts back to what you've been led to expect from uh, the alien world in a way that I kind of wish they'd provided a little more variety on. I think probably the thing I want them to evolve on more with their next project, whether it be another amnesia or another maybe narrative experiment sort of like Soma, would be their transitioning between chapters. I don't know if you were kind of like getting a little tired of this, mm-hmm. but 
I felt every transition between chapters, it was Tassie getting knocked out from falling, from something falling on her, from get an enemy knocking her out. After a while, and that's been present in all their games to a certain extent, I kind of felt that I was mm. like, okay, we need to think of a different transition than just like her getting knocked out constantly or falling into this pit. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, that, there's a few horror games that I think do similar things, without, even without chapters, but for distinct points. And it's, yeah, hard one to escape. And yeah, with the chapter format, you are trying to sort of end on something, you know, each time. And I think only once or twice does it really end at a point where it's different. Yeah, I think the pregnancy reveal being one of them, where it's like a, oh, uh, just to clarify, she, her amnesia means she doesn't remember she's pregnant until suddenly she remembers. And then, you know, smartly before that, they don't show that she's pregnant because that's her vision of it. Partly because of her, partly because of what's affecting her. And yeah, again. Yeah, it's a small complaint on my part, but it's one of those things where... I'm so sort of relieved that they have continued to evolve on their own blueprint in a way that it's just it's for the next thing that they do. It's the one element that I would really like to see because it would be the next natural sort of evolution of what they've already done so well. And just saying, hey, now we can turn this on its head in a way that I really enjoyed with Rebirth overall. Right. This idea that they're able to give us the most refined edition of gameplay, the most refined edition of narrative um, and even sort of. Just little things which I read some people complaining about was that the um, a majority of the loading screens and sort of the narrative is told during those sketchpad drawings that she does with voiceover yeah. and whatnot. And I thought that that was very organic because that's part of her personality, right? That's even your inventory HUD yeah. essentially is it lets you go through this sketchpad and you see your items, you see reminders that she draws and all these things. That's so yeah. I thought that that was a much more natural way of kind of giving us exposition rather than a cutscene, which I think yeah, if we had absolutely. had cutscenes, it sort of would have it would have felt strange a little bit, I think, in terms of the type of game it is and yeah. what we've been led to expect with frictional games in general and their sort of storytelling sensibilities. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it needs to do what it does. And again, it's all done with just one vision in mind of how it's going to be told and how everything's going to tie together. I think that's the important thing to remember that as we were saying before, with games that have tried to copy that format and, uh, that they have, they've misunderstood the point in many ways by just going, well, we'll take a bit of that game there and a bit of that game there and not realising when these things don't work together. You know, like, um, I think going back to Outlast, Outlast 2 is a game that takes it also takes its sequel into a more open outside area, but it's all dark all the time, you know? And there, the camcorder thing doesn't really work so well. And it just, it's like, well, everyone likes open world stuff more. Let's do that. And it, rather than, well, we've got to build a game with that in mind, you know, from the ground up, which is what Frictional have done. You know, it's like, this is what we know. This is what we want to do different this time because we don't want to be just the same thing. And everything is designed with certain ideas in mind. They also know when to use that scale, right? Because it's very clear that they were intentional about like those outdoor areas, which serve as like quote unquote safe rooms. Those would be the instances where there's the most exploration, right? You have the less risk of exploring this wide open lit environment. And then of course, when you go back underground or you go to other worlds, the scale gets much smaller and there's much more detailed moments. And then of course, there's more risk with um, exploring those areas. And so I think again, just that sort of, 
notion that they know and obviously we're trusting in them to know like when to use scale appropriately in their game is really used the best in terms of like knowing what they want to focus in on in certain areas and of course there's also the idea like the more claustrophobic an area is the more tense it's going to be the less claustrophobic the more relaxed you'll be that kind of thing which is very simple when you say it but then in terms of stretching that out amongst a six or eight hour game i mean that allows this game to not kind of get bogged down in a way that a game like i found uh, outlast 2 to be or even soma to a certain extent it's like it's all dark all the time or it's sort of like luminescent little bit of luminescent light in the darkness type things but there's never any real moment to like catch your breath it's just this pervasive darkness all the way through which becomes grueling after a while you're like okay I get it. It's dark. It's scary. It's dingy. Yeah, and in Outlast too, there's uh, just the pacing is awful. You know, it, it, it starts. You know, it begins. They just try to throw too much at you to that once. You know, the, the big sort of stuff that Amnesia, Rebirth, and even Dark Descent leave for a while. They're, they're giving to you in the first half an hour, and it's like you've not worked up to this at all. You've not earned this. Moment, you know, and it just feels annoying and cheap. You know, rather than when you then get battered to death each time but uh, I think again with this uh, Frictional have not been afraid to try an idea once and then just let it go you know it's like we'll do the descent you know we'll do all these cave things lurking in the caves and that was cool and but if that had been the whole game yeah I don't think it would have been so good much as I like that idea of having a game that is like the descent but then it moves on does the fort thing never does anything quite like that again you know whilst sticking to generally the same sort of stuff but yeah some stuff will just be there for a bit and that's fine that's where it should be you shouldn't just go well it's a gimmick so we're going to use it all the time now that's it it's like I I appreciate that in some games it works you know in games where you you Metroidvania style games where you just pick up skills and things and then carry on and use them all but here when it's just like no this this device or this thing only serves this area and then you move on that's fine that's cool that's the way perfectly done and I think many games that do that um, on a very different game but uh, the cult game by Joseph Paris It Takes Two that came out this year um, is very much that sort of game that goes here's some new tools to use at this level only and then off you go and then we're going to try something different for the next level Type 4 2 2's uh, campaign very much another one where it's just like I mean, they have a literally a level where it's just like here's time travel for a level and then <laughs> and then it's gone <laughs> it's like, and it's like ah, that's amazing and it's yeah it makes it awesome I think even back to Dishonored 2 it does the same thing just a level of doing time travel <laughs> and then just uh, leaving it but that's the way it should be Good ideas don't have to be kept dragged out for an entire story, you know, just because it adds more stuff to your game. You, you should do whatever suits your narrative and, you know, leave it at that, especially when you are trying to tell a story. I mean, in Rebirth, the amulet that you use to travel between your world and the uh, dead planet world, right? That wasn't sort of in the beginning it's introduced and then you use it a couple of times. And then you don't use it for an entire section of the game, right? It wasn't this sign of over-reliance to keep coming back and back and back to this one sort of gameplay mechanic. And I mean, I thought they could have maybe used that mechanic in a little bit more of an interesting way, but I was appreciative of the fact that they didn't beat you over the head with it. You have to use it every 
15, 30 seconds or whatever, right? There's a variety of ways so in a, yeah. to solve puzzles, but also it just keeps you thinking about it, right? If the answer was always take out your amulet and use it, whatever you're doing becomes ultimately less interesting, right? So there were sections where I was like, hmm, yeah. do I have to use the amulet for this? And if, even if the answer was no, and it's something much more simple, it gave me pause. And I think that's important, again, in the longevity yeah. of those games. So that way, the next time that the answer is that simple and you take out the amulet and it works, you're like, okay, well, next time maybe I'll try that. And it kind of sends you on this this loop of making sure to not over-rely on one gameplay element, but to keep cycling through them in a way that hopefully will yield uh, some creative results. But uh, you ready to kind of tackle the ending of this? Yeah, Um <laughs> it's uh, heartbreaking, I think. It's, uh, but also reveals a very different side to Tazi. You know, as much as you can sympathise and empathise with her plight and how she feels, you know, ultimately she's making very selfish decisions for everyone else. You know, in continually going through this, uh, you know, and yeah, I I don't know what degree of ending you got personally. But for me, it was the case of having to give the child up and Tarsi effectively just becoming another creature, you know, and just, yeah, it was, it was, you knew it was the right thing to do at that point, you know, because you get given the choice to, you know, take the baby with you or not. And it, you know, it just felt the way things were going for Tarsi at that point. And it, it clicked into gear at that point that the constant dying, if you will, you know, and the failure states and, that had that impact on her. You know, the more you do it, the more Tazi becomes this thing, like anything else, like the very things that have been chasing her the whole time. You know, and you have to, you have to leave the kid at that point. And as horrible as it sounds, and you've been building this whole story up to the idea of, you know, she's lost a child. She wants to keep this child going at all costs, selfishly. She doesn't understand that for most of the game because of her amnesia but it does come to the point where she then finds out that why you know, they're all in this situation to begin with and it's yeah you can understand why she would do such a thing but at the same time it's horrific but yeah to me it ended up being the right thing and as heartbreaking as that is yeah yeah, you and me are of uh, one mind because I did the same thing. It was this thing where I was like so <laughs> taken aback at just how invested I was in this person for the whole game. And then you realize that her selfishness essentially kills all of her uh, colleagues and whatnot. Because you find out that after the crash, they were all meet, uh, greeted by the empress of the gate builders, essentially. And she said she basically can't have children. Yeah. She wants Tossie's baby, but Tossie won't give it up because this is her chance to kind of uh, have a second go at being a parent. And so they're all basically tricked into yeah. drinking this water that turns them into ghouls, essentially. Um, and then the only trade then and there is uh, giving the child up and she will supposedly change them back. Um, but yeah, I felt that given learning how selfish she was the entire game, that I and the ending that we picked is titled The Bad Ending because she literally becomes a ghoul. But in reality, yeah. it's the redemption ending. It's this idea that she is able to do the right... She's given a chance to do the right thing for a change. And we learn that she has not been doing the right yeah. thing a majority of the game. And so, yes, that was incredibly heartbreaking. And it was one of those moments where it made me think about, again, how many games have tried to do something similar to this, right? Morality is nothing new in games, especially with their endings. Yeah. But no. you actually 
<laughs> feel those emotions that the character is feeling and the morality is one that gives you pause. I don't know about you. How many games make you actually pause and make you think about it more than it being like, this is the good ending. This is the bad ending. This is one where I was walking yeah. back and forth between the crib and the door like three or four times trying to weigh the options. It was like, my fate is not certain, but the child's mm. is if I leave it here. And that's something that I think is incredibly powerful. And yeah. again, to th say like the pregnancy element is manipulative, I don't think it is because that moment then does not have that level of weight if they hadn't been building to that in a meaningful way mm. from the jump. Yeah. Yeah, this is it. And yeah, she's just, just it's horrible to have to put someone in that situation. But you know, at the same time, as we learn, cruelly, she doesn't understand that she's made this decision already you know, for herself by being selfish enough to do, but to do this. It's, it's an ending that had me just thinking about it for a long, for a long time afterwards. You know, just any time I think about the game, it's one of those things that just keeps in my mind. You know, it's like, yeah, on the surface, you could again, you could just say, oh well, yeah, it's a very simple choose, choose, choose thing. But you know, the weight of the story up to that point, you know, it's not as simple as, well, you know, Tazi is a wonderful person and she deserves to keep her baby. So this, this is why it's a horrible decision to make. It's a case of, no, <laughs> she was a bit of a shit in letting everyone die just to keep the baby, even if she did have, you know reasonable reasons for doing so in her mind you know she still did something awful you know it's the old train tracks thing effectively as a plot device and yeah it it works and it's effective all because the work is done leading up to it do you know what the other endings are because there's three endings total i i've not bothered okay. doing a different ending okay. so just because it's um there are certain games like that where i, I want the ending to be what it is gotcha you know it's like it ruins it a bit like Life is Strange and Walking Dead Telltale's first season of that the way they ended I didn't want them to, to I didn't want to do the other endings mm. or other styles ending because that was my ending mm. you know I like that and that's how I'll remember them well it's convenient then that we uh, both had the same ending or we went with the same ending but um, I'll say also just for me like I, I'm still like in shock at how powerful it was in that it was able to put me in the shoes of a parent in this predicament that's hellish and I'm not a parent, but to give me an experience that is obviously nothing is going to uh, truly replicate that. But the idea that it was able to give it a certain amount of weight that is overwhelming in a way for a video game, again, like people still the people that are just like, well, games, you know, they have these very kind of predictable stories and whatnot and these cliches and all these things. But there's true emotional weight in this game in a way that you don't get unless it's in like film or there's a few handful of examples of other games that do something similar but it is one where it presents this conundrum and without saying what the other endings are I think that there's no ending that is necessarily a good or a bad or whatever it makes you think about no. several different pairs of shoes that a parent could find themselves in and at least yeah. from my my impression they are all ones that are valid in some way you could argue for them nothing is there's no like one that is very based in real world experiences and then there's one that's like the very video gamey option everything feels like a legitimate resolution to this character's narrative their decisions where they've gone where they're headed type things and i think that that's just yeah. a remarkable feat yeah i think in that sense it, that's where it becomes your decision 
because it, it, it's inferred how you personally do it. The same, yeah, yeah, the, the same situation can be viewed in so many different ways, and that's the beauty of that to have many different ways uh, without being a obtuse as being oh yeah okay this is a little little good this is a little bad it's like it's a case of you know shades of grey if you will but um and yeah that that's how it should be because you know just, we may have come to the same conclusion but for different reasons in this case because you know mine I can relate more to the whole, the whole idea of both of those things for Tazi that you know that why you'd want to keep a child and why you'd want to uh, but also know why it'd be a good you know, it's not safe mm-hmm. to do so yeah and again like the idea that they were able to take to move on from Soma which w- the focus of that game I think is all the sort of just the expansiveness of its narrative and it makes you think about technology and people in a way that's unique and then to apply that same level of abstract but then bring it back for rebirth and make it very much a, a story of self and a story mm. of growth in a singular character and the overarching narrative is much more simplistic. Again, it just it makes me so excited after playing this to think about what Frictional can do next and what they will do next in terms of how they are going to expand their storytelling or how they're going to expand their gameplay because, I mean, Rebirth is a fantastic example of a studio that has shown great growth at every step of the way. And even if you have an element in uh, like in Soma, which was very underwhelming, they're still able to take that experience and deliver on certain aspects and then take hmm. that and apply it to their next title, which ends up being much better. Yeah, I, I mean, amusingly, when I was just going over my review um, recently, and I happened to look at the comments. Which <laughs> <it's>, uh, <laughs> That's a bold <laughs> choice. I, I know, I, I tend never to. And of course, the first, comment, the first comment I got was basically saying I was basically being a chill for frictional by saying this was a good horror game. And then the second one was going, basically saying, yeah, but so much better. And it's like, you know, so which is it? Right, Because, <laughs> so, right, right. exactly. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not sure for Frictional at all in the sense, you know, I think the Dark Descent is very important. I don't think it has aged well in a lot of ways you know, at this point. Um, Soma, I have a lot of problems with, but it is you know, fantastic in terms of what they put that story. I think it's just, again, like Rebirth in a different way, it has elements to its story that just, leave you thinking about it long after and that, that I can take fl- a flawed game when it does stuff like that and it does interesting stuff and then you know these first person experiences like this where you know shooting things and battering things isn't the point have provided plenty of that and yeah not all of them are going to work for everybody we know that you know, some will be more effective than others and again it all depends on the person's personal experiences you know there are bits of what remains of Edith Finch that hurt me and made me scared for things more than any horror game, you know, because they just took very personal things and made them... They did them in such an effective way. And, you know, that's... Rebirth, again, does that. It, it, it's remarkable that we can have games like that. I think its biggest problem just happened to be that it came out just as we were coming to a new console generation and everyone's going on about that. Spelunky 2 was another game that came out around the same time. A long-awaited sequel to a, a game from the height of the indie boom uh, at the beginning of the 10, 2010s that came at the wrong time and strangely no one really talks about it, despite both being 
these great evolutions of ideas that had already been done by that those developers were you know because they understand what they're doing with it you know, you know if amnesia was one you know spelunky is another those two were up there uh, together you know, last year in terms of games i loved and yeah it's a shame both pretty much got ignored because of everything like that and also i think because rebirth is not giving in and being like every other horror game you know and doing that and it would have been so easy you know that's exactly what machine for pigs got you know chip canned for back in the day it's what people didn't like about it soma you know the things people moaned about soma are about you can't win you're always gonna have people that are gonna be unsatisfied with that but yeah i think the fact we've had more combat-based horror games in the years since you know that they've made a resurgence since amnesia's you know first outing it it has changed it a bit and indie games aren't as exciting and fresh as it were as a whole because there are lots lots more of them now because that boom happened you know, for, for, because of games like Amnesia so yeah it, it's in that sense a victim of its own success but I think maybe it's one of those that will appreciate and value as time goes on definitely and I think it serves as another fantastic example that if you're going to make a horror game it can't just be scarce focused right because sure <laughs> the scary parts yeah they're scary they're creepy but how does that make you as a player feel in a way that differentiates it from the other hundred games that come out every other month that just want to scare you and then you experience them you get this kind of like short burst of adrenaline and then you move on to the next one you forget about it whereas frictionals are very very aware that they need to develop these very sort of personable tales that everybody can relate to on some certain extent or they're able to at least fill it with emotions and twists and turns in terms of its narrative or its character arcs that everybody can relate to because otherwise you kind of just have this haunted house that you're running through and then it's over and then there's one thing that made it different than the last one and then you're just ready to move yeah. on whereas these games sit with you for a while like you said I finished the game uh, over the weekend and it's still sitting with me and I'm still thinking about it in a way that Soma for all my qualms with Soma I thought about that game for weeks afterwards, that ending, how horrifying that is because it's tapping into more than just being a scary predicament of being trapped underwater, right? There's all these sort of yeah. other elements to it that I can relate to or that there are some similarities between my life and that or experiences or whatnot that just makes it kind of get under your skin in a way that is more than just being afraid because there's a reason why the best horror movies are for the most part are like 90 minutes or something, right? If you're going to play yeah. a game, you can't expect to be scared by a game for the entire eight hours that you're playing it. There needs to be a little more yeah. there to it. Something else for you to kind of chew on that makes that makes all the other elements of it, like the scares and whatnot, kind of pop that much better because it's tied to something important or something more. Yeah, I think you know, there's always this craving for more games like Silent Hill and what it was. And we get those games like when we get games like this, you know, the games that but the audience has changed. You know, a lot of the people who were into that prefer to have combat in their games, you know, and so they don't really care for games like this. And then the younger audience don't get it because they never had that. They didn't have proper psychological horror. It's a shame because I will take another uh, another one of these amnesia games or whatever frictional games feels like making uh, whenever they want to deliver it because, if anything, this has kind of just revitalized my love for these styles of games and games that again they're able to take these sort of unique premises 
that might have some familiar inklings to them, and yet they're able to expand on them in a way that uh, makes for a truly timeless horror game because this is definitely one of them. And it's, uh, like you said, it's a shame that this game maybe missed its kind of heyday to a certain extent, right? It kind of got buried under yeah. the new console generation stuff, but it's still a fantastic game. And I was so happy that uh, you recommended that I check it out and we got to have this chat about it because uh, Amnesia Rebirth is definitely one that I think anybody that's into survival horror or horror games in general should definitely check out. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you're a fan of The Descent as a film. <laughs> the first collections of that game are perfectly like that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. You're just in a cave, monsters in the dark and handled in a good way absolutely well as always neil it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for safe room yeah and you too thank you for listening to another episode of safe room please consider following and rating the show on your preferred podcast platform and for updates on the show follow us on twitter at safe room pod thanks again for listening and we'll see you guys next week